the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The El Conservador Radio Show is sponsored by Border Hawk News on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Time for the El Conservador Radio Show with George Rodriguez. George is a constitutional conservative who loves to expose fake news and liberals. Be a part of the show. Call 210-308-8867. And now, El Conservador. George Rodriguez. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, welcoming all of you folks on this beautiful Saturday, March 5th, 2022. The year is rolling along, folks. First of all, let me thank uh, our, our hosts, or should I say our sponsor, Border Hawk News, for their uh, support of our program. We uh, wouldn't uh, be on the air without them, so I really, really want to thank them. Uh, I also want to uh, re- remind everyone that our program is pre-recorded, so uh, it doesn't do us any good to call the, uh, the, the station at this point. You can, however, uh, contact me through social media, El, El Conservador, George Rodriguez, or uh, through um, the station. You can always also do that. So, welcome, my friends to our show. Let me tell you who we've got real quick, and then we'll jump into some immigration news. We've got a bunch of it. Uh, First of all, we've got my good friend Ken Allard. Ken is a uh, former journalist as well. I know he's not a former. He's still a journalist. He works um, with um, uh, Governor Huckabee. He writes stuff for him, as well as uh, he is a former uh, intelligence officer. And I got... um, Ken on the show because I wanted him to talk to us a little bit about the immigration issues that are happening now in uh, in Europe, thanks to uh, Mr. Putin and uh, the invasion of the U- of Ukraine. So um, uh, Ken is going to chat with us about that. He was a former intelligence officer, so he'll, he'll give us a little bit of insight into the mind of this uh, would-be Napoleon, uh, Vladimir Putin. Uh, we also have former Congressman Kiko Canseco. Kiko uh, is a dear friend. He uh, is from my hometown of Laredo. And uh, I reached out to him because I wanted to chat with him about the doggone elections that just happened here in South Te- here in here in Texas and the implications in South Texas. Uh, we have seen a a uh, a real uh, resurgence, a, a real uh, groundswell of uh, of Republicans uh, of conservatism. Uh, among the Hispanic community in South Texas. All of it, in my opinion, uh, due to the fact that uh, Americans of Hispanic descent are uh, are fed up with the, the illegal immigration problem that we've got. Uh, unfortunately, the Democrats just don't seem to understand that, which is, I guess it's okay uh, for political reasons. But um, Kiko's going to give us a, a, an insight on, uh, on, on the uh, elections, on the primary elections that just occurred uh, here in uh, South Texas. Um, then we've also got Mr. Preston uh, Hennekins. Preston is with Fair in Washington, D.C. And I reached out to him because uh, he and Fair uh, have been following the policies of the Biden administration. Now, I want everybody to understand that Biden uh, shamelessly, shamelessly, hypocritically made the comment on Tuesday during the uh, State of the Union address that uh, he was going to do more uh, he was going to do more to secure the border and to address the issue of, uh, of illegal immigration. Shameless. Absolute lie. Shameless. Uh, Preston is going to be chatting and explaining to us how the Biden administration is systematically, my friends, systematically dis- dismantling our, immigrations, uh, our immigration programs, our uh, border security, shamelessly dismantling it. Uh, the uh, enforcement aspects of the Border Patrol and ICE have been completely gutted. Uh, we have uh, uh, immigration enforcement that is toothless at this point. And uh, Preston is going to be chatting with us about that. So uh, 
uh, stay tuned for that. In the meantime, in the meantime, let us chat a little bit. Let us chat a little bit about the um, uh, about the immigration news. First of all, let's start with the um, with the State of the Union address. Uh, Biden, uh, get this, Biden dedicated 11 sentences, 11 sentences to the issue of immigration and border security in the State of the Union address. Uh, it's outrageous. Uh, his his comment uh, at the end of those 11 sentences was, let's get it done once and for all. Let's get what done, my friends? Let's get what done once and for all. Uh, this this man uh, talks in platitudes and and and, uh, and vagueness and, and and it is just it leaves us uh, just confounded confounded one of the things that uh, it did do which is very very interesting was that it really enraged and upset um, a lot of his immigration base his open borders crowd um, you know the the we we have fentanyl coming in 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 record numbers killing Americans left and right. We've got almost two million illegal aliens that have come through uh, since he took over, <clears throat> and uh, you know children constantly being found by the um, by the border patrol who are being used as pawns as tools to circumvent immigration laws. Uh, I mean, it, it is an absolute disaster. And this guy, uh, our so-called president, makes the make, makes a comment that let's get it done. What the heck does that mean? One of the things that the um, open borders crowd, the leftists that are his uh, supporters, they were very, very disappointed because they uh, because they see Biden a- as not moving fast enough to open the border to allow, you know, anybody and everybody to come in, while at the same time they want certain things that were, in, in, that, that were placed, uh, that were put in place by, by Trump. They want them removed. For example, um, the public health rule, uh, Title 42, uh, which has been responsible for for the expulsion of something like 1.1 uh, illegal aliens since he took uh, since Biden took uh, office. Uh, it it uh, the the open borders crowd has wanted to remove that because you know it doesn't matter who comes in and what state of health they're in according to these leftists as long as the people come in. Never mind that they might have COVID. Never mind that they might uh, have uh, leprosy or. TB or whatever, you know, we just got to let them in. And uh, Title 42, completely in particular, uh, stops anybody who's got COVID from coming in. Uh, then there's also the migrant pr- uh, protocol, pr- uh, protection protocols, uh, which um, uh, requires people to uh, stay in Mexico uh, instead of coming in and demanding uh, 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 asylum. They have to wait in Mexico for their uh, asylum ticket to, be, to come up. And uh, again, the uh, open borders crowd, the UN, all the leftists are demanding that they are, are saying that that's not fair. You know <clears throat> that um, that people should be allowed immediately into into the country. There's this this guy named Carlos Guevara, who is director of uh, Unidos US. Uh, he said that he was encouraged by Biden's call to find legislative uh, a legislative and permanent solution, but uh, with the midterms coming on and with uh, the num- with, with so many people. Fed up with the uh, with the border uh, crisis, he doesn't think that it's gonna that, that anything is gonna happen. Uh, then, of course, there are the Koch brothers. The Koch brothers uh, are a very very wealthy uh, mercantile family, and um, they apparently have started a uh, a, a uh, political campaign, a campaign uh, through the media to demand uh, uh, immigration reform. Now. Let me let me explain to you what immigration reform means to these people. It means amnesty. That's what it means. You know, uh, let me tell let, let me tell the Koch brothers plainly from uh, talking to you from uh, my heart, my friends, that we should not have immigration reform. We cannot have any amnesty until we first have uh, immigration law enforcement. Until we deport every single illegal alien until we remove every single illegal alien then we can talk about immigration reform but we should not be we should not talk about that because if you talk about immigration reform and amnesty for the millions and millions of illegal aliens that are already here my friends then what you're doing is rewarding their 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 uh, their entry illegal, their illegal entry into the United States it's that simple you're rewarding their illegal entry into the United States we cannot we cannot talk 
about immigration reform and amnesty until every single illegal alien is removed. Then we can talk about it. Who's pushing it along with the uh, with the Koch brothers? Uh, it, it's not only th- it, it's the um, uh, this group that they have founded called Americans for Prosperity (AFP), but then there's also this Hispanic group called Libre Initiative, and uh, the Libre Initiative came about mostly by uh, by organizing some uh, uh, pastors and ministers who were more interested in having uh, illegal alien congregations than they are of having a nation uh, of laws. Yep, that's that's my that's my position. They uh, hide themselves behind God, uh, and and the uh, and the nation can go to hell. That's that's my position. There, I've said it. So um, then, of course, there have been some protests, and all of this coincides with with uh, the disappointment of uh, of Biden regarding his comments on, on immigration. Uh, there have been some some uh, uh, efforts to organize. Well, there have been organized organized protests at detention centers because get this. They, uh, these leftists, these open borders organizations, want everybody that's in a detention center released. They want them released immediately. Again, my friends, what's the point of having a, a, a law enforcement or having immigration laws if the people that violate those laws are not punished and are rewarded? You know, it, it just is it's outrageous. Once again, my friends, thank you for being here with us. We're going to go to our first um, to our first uh, uh, guests. And uh, we thank you again for joining us today. We hope that you will call your friends and tell them to, uh, to join us. My friends, we are facing a real critical situation. The left is going to mount a, a, a real, real strong challenges because they see themselves losing. And they are going to get desperate. So uh, we have to be prepared for that. Once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador. Thank you for being with us on KLUP 930 AM. The answer. Hi, folks. This is George Rodriguez, El Conservador. Looking for information on immigration, borders, refugee resettlement, asylum claims, nationalism, and globalism? Go to borderhawk.news. Borderhawk.news has up-to-date information on these topics and their impact locally, nationally, and internationally. Borderhawk.news has the news that's not covered by the other media or websites. Stay informed on one of the most important issues in this country, immigration. Go to borderhawk.news. It's Tuesday, March 1st. Uh, primary election day, and uh, we're here with um, Mr. Ashton Murray, who is going to be a candidate in November, a Republican candidate for uh, Congress, or for Senate, for, Senate uh, for State Senate, right? That is correct. Uh, and he, uh, I wanted to ask him what his take is on this uh, primary, particularly since on the Democrat side, my friends, there are two openly avowed socialist Democrats that are winning, people that uh, Ocasio-Cortez, AOC, came down from New York to campaign from. Ashton, welcome to the show. What's your take on this this primary, particularly what we're seeing from the Democrats? Well, Bexar County has historically low voter turnout for the uh, for the Republicans uh, and right now we are seeing massive gains so I, I we, we know that they're winning right now but our goal is to get out there get out there and talk to these voters that's a big thing and that's what we've done and that's why we're seeing a, a, a massive Republican turnout um, so I don't think it's anything to fret uh, it's just the primary but we are going to have to work all summer long to ensure that uh, we don't allow socialists uh, in our government. You got it. Thank you very much. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador. And uh, we've got uh, another person here, another uh, one of our uh, friends from uh, voting night here, from primary night, Ms. Maricela Rodriguez, no uh, uh, relation. But um, I wanted to, ch- to ask her, she is a uh, health, uh, a, a, a um, public health uh, uh, registered. registered. 
public health uh, worker, and um, I wanted to ask her what she, what are her thoughts on uh, this uh, primary election night, particularly with the victories that these socialist Democrats seem to be having. Um, well, I'm talking on behalf of not only the Hispanic but the working class. We work really hard, especially in Barrett County. It's going to be a historical vote, but not only that, we're taking back our county. We have to. It's very important, especially for those who have worked so hard, especially the Hispanics. Majority, you know, we vote conservative. I think we have to go grassroots, and that's what we're going to continue doing is grassroots and making them understand what conservatives it is, which is mostly Republicans, and we're going to turn them and turn Bear County red. Thank you very, very much. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you in San Antonio. And we've got uh, a new guest with us, a good friend of mine that uh, I've been chatting with for several years now, Mr. Ken Allard. And uh, I wanted to reach out to Ken because Ken has a, a stellar career, not only in journalism, but in foreign affairs as well. And he's written a powerful, a very, very good article regarding this whole situation that we've got this crisis that we've got going in, in Ukraine. And uh, I wanted uh, him to, to tell us about his article and to chat with us about what his experiences have been uh, in foreign affairs and watching this kind, of, uh, uh, this kind of behavior by dictators. Ken, thank you very, very much for joining us today. Uh, I want to give a big shout-out to, to uh, our buddies and friends that uh, listen to us in, in the other states. Uh, and uh, I, I please... Before we start, tell the folks a little bit about your background, uh, what uh, a little bit about your career, so we can get uh, a, a little bit of a perspective of where 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 you're coming from. Well, George, I thank you very much for this privilege, and I my career began humbly uh, as a draftee. Uh, there was this little business called Vietnam in 1969 when I graduated from college, and I said, "What." You had a great record in college. You, you did a junior year abroad at the University of Edinburgh. You did all the great things. Come here. <laughs> uh, we, have, we have this gun for you, and uh, we'd like you to do your bit. Uh, and so when I was actually drafted and passed the physical, and there's a sergeant sitting there at the next desk, he says, look, since we've got you already, wouldn't you like to enlist for OCS? To which I said, yeah, sure, why not? So I found myself in OCS, the most intense experience of my life to that point. And that was kind of the, the road for this thing, because at the end of it, and I'm not making this up, they literally said, look, you're blonde and you're blue-eyed, you don't like a thing like a Vietnamese, uh, we're going to send you to Germany instead, since you do actually speak German. And uh, against all odds, in this odd kind of way that the military has, of uh, just putting people around different places, doing different things with them, I found myself in Germany for four and a half years. I was not working against the Viet Cong, I was working against the KGB as an intelligence officer in the middle of the Cold War. And it was an amazing experience. It changed my life. Uh, I literally had the experience of working directly against uh, everything the KGB and GRU do, the Soviet military intelligence. I got to experience that. And so all of a sudden I found my life's work. And it came back to uh, uh, the United States, commanded at, uh, at uh, the Army Intelligence School. And after that, I was started to go to the West Point faculty, of all things. And that put me on a, a, an even odder kind of road, because I found myself at Harvard, on route to West Point, and frankly, not many draftees get to go there. Uh, by this point, I'm a captain and a major, and uh, just having a, a great time. But I began to study the Soviet Union in a very, very serious way. I knew what their military was like, and that became sort of... Uh, Everything that the Army was doing at that time was all about recovering from Vietnam, getting ready to combat the Soviet Union on the plains of Europe. And all of that ended uh, with Desert Storm. We did not get to actually fight the Soviets, but our Army was ready to do that. And all of a sudden, it was used to fight Saddam Hussein. And all of that kind of left me with a, a terrific and interesting career. And how unusual to have had the Soviet Union go away to thought, hey, we, we got a reprieve from all that. Suddenly find out, hey, they're back. So that's sort of the background to all this. <laughs> you know, since you were dealing with the KGB and since Mr. Putin comes directly out of the oh, KGB. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What is, they're what very is, good. They're very cold-blooded. I mean, I, I've seen that type before. And for the American audience, if they've never seen this kind of thing before, it must be eerie to suddenly realize 
wow, who is this guy? And guess what? We're still wondering that very same question. Tell, tell us, uh, t- tell us about your the article you wrote because it was very. Uh, first of all, I, I really applauded, and I have posted it on my website. So, you know, anybody who wants to read it uh, can go there. But uh, tell us about what inspired you to write that. Well, as you mentioned, I, I also had the experience of uh, having a second career after the military. I became a military analyst for NBC News. It was like being drafted the second time because. Uh, that led up to uh, 9-11 and everything that followed thereafter. And suddenly I found that uh, it was like, also, you're, you're also trying to communicate to the nation as a whole. Uh, it was like teaching back at West Point again, but now you got the country sitting there watching you. And you try and explain what the context of these things are, the context of the decisions and what's going to happen. What does war look like? Because, boy, people do not know. Uh, we got out of the habit of drafting, folks, uh, with the uh, 1973 decision to go to a volunteer force, which is a great decision. But unfortunately, now we've got less than half of 1% of the U.S. Uh, population that ever wears a uniform. So guess what? We're unfamiliar with our own military or what war even is. That's the second time I've seen that. It's a very critical thing. And so this last weekend, as I watched the events in, in Ukraine and Poland and Moldova, all those places that I was so familiar with, I began to say, you know, the country's now asking those same questions all over again that they did back uh, with 9-11. What is war all about? What's happening here? What's going on? And, oh, my Lord, here in Texas, we worry constantly about the border and it being overrun by almost everybody. And guess what, George, we now got to have that same instability in Central Europe. And so to see that suddenly occur this last weekend, I thought, wow, I've got to kind of take pen to paper again uh, and see how far this article can go. A dear friend of Mike Huckabee, uh, I said, Governor, for your website, let me see if I can put something together which will tell people about what this whole thing is all about. And that was where I started, beginning with what uh, Robert Gates, former Secretary of Defense, probably the best man we've ever had in that office, and he said it brilliantly on uh, Fareed Zakaria's. I don't watch CNN very much, but when Robert Gates is on, I did watch that. And last weekend he said, hey, our long holiday from history is over. And so I kind of went from that standpoint and talked a little bit about uh, what the background to this thing was, what uh, Russian expansionism is all about, and what that's going to mean. You know, the, the situation with, um, with, with Putin... Uh, you know, we, it seems like we've got a generation now, uh, a young generation that just seems to embrace John Lennon's "Imagine There's No Heaven," and they have a very, very difficult time understanding somebody that's cold-blooded like this guy. I was speaking yesterday to a religious audience. I want to identify who those folks were, but they were young people. They were in California, making it even worse, and. Uh, they had no concept of what I was talking about. I had to send them an article and say, look, would you please read this thing and may kind of pick up on some of my, my major themes. Because yes, there are bad people out there. Uh, one of them is even worse than we thought, but now you've got him in control of a Soviet war machine. I'm sorry, not Soviet, of course they're gone, but it's Russian to be so, Russian and Soviet are the same things. So it's a Soviet style war machine. It's based on mass everything. And oh, by the way, they really don't care very much about population centers. Uh, I had the experience of, of uh, being in Bosnia for the uh, for that war and uh, the aftermath of it, and it was astounding to me to see how a Russian-style war machine had gone to population centers because it made no sense to me as a military officer. I understand giving up ground for position, a maneuver, uh, advantages, things like that, but Bosnia was crazy. They had simply gone at each other, and the resulting population, I'll never forget, down at Birchko, which is in northern Bosnia, on the Tava River. I was sitting there walking around, I was walking around and driving around in jeeps. I was taking pictures of the incredible destruction of that city, and finally I just stopped, George, because I couldn't stand it anymore. It was like being back in Berlin at the end of World War That's just the way they do things, versus the same way. You know, this this idea of ethnic cleansing, that's the other thing that's, uh, oh. you know, uh, nationalism. Oh. I mean, it's nationalism, and it's it's Russians uh, against Ukrainians. And, uh, you know, it, it's it, it's really, you know, here we talk about, um, uh, about uh, diversity and respect for one another. Uh, there, there. There's really no understanding of what this is, what this is really like over there. You know, in Bosnia... Uh 
that heartbreaking scene of all that wreckage in a, in a, a beautiful town that it's just literally in rubble. I mean, literally rubbleized. And uh, that was an experience that really got to me from from the heart because you, you see you see churches and mosques that have been machine gunned, blown up. Uh, and in some cases, those buildings were a thousand years old. And to see that well, that destruction was amazing. But to me, ethnic cleansing was well summed up when I found myself in a uh, ethnically cleansed um, village. And you thought, like the town dump, except when you looked a little closer, George, you saw eyeglasses, dentures, a kid's doll, all that stuff. It was, that's what the ethnic cleansing was. They took people and treated them like trash. And I'm... I'm, I'm fearful that's what we're going to see on an even larger scale uh, before this is over in, uh, in, in Ukraine. Wow, that's incredible. Ken, we're going to let you go, but thank you very, very much for taking time to be with us today. I really, really appreciate it. I need to get you back on again. Tell the folks where they can follow you or where they can read your um, your articles. Well, I used to write for the Express News, which I no oh, longer yes. do for reasons we're both familiar with. <laughs> yes, very uh, much so. But- the best, the best place to find me now is on MikeHuggabee.com. Uh, I occasionally also put some stuff on Bernard Goldberg's website, too. So that's kind of where I'm, I'm going to be doing the most of my writing for the next couple of months. You got it. Thank you very, very much, folks. We've been speaking with my good friend, Ken Allard. And uh, we thank you for being on the show. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, on KLUP 930 AM radio. And I want to give a shout out to our friends up in D.C. and our friends in New York. Uh, I've been getting some notes from you guys regarding the election, our primary election that just occurred. And uh, one of those elections has to do with uh, an area uh, in my hometown of Laredo. Uh, as well as uh, the hometown for our next guest, uh, former Congressman Kiko Canseco. And I wanted to reach out to Kiko and uh, chat with him both about that uh, primary election, what he reads into it, what he saw, as well as uh, other elections. Because, my friends, uh, there, is, uh, there seems to be a definite wind of change when it comes to traditional uh, uh, democratic uh, politics in the Mexican-American community in South Texas. Kiko, welcome to the show. Thank you for taking time to be with us. What are your thoughts? What are your th- George. Yeah, well, what are your thoughts again? Tell us, t- give me your thoughts about uh, this this election, particularly, let's start with the, with the, um, the election to Henry Cuellar, the primary uh, election with uh, Democrat Congressman Henry Cuellar and the challenger uh, this uh, Jessica Cisneros that it was that was backed or is backed um, by the Bernie Sanders AOC uh, squad people. Well, George, first of all, thank you for having me on your show. It's always a pleasure to um, add something to to your uh, listeners on your program, and I welcome the opportunity to do so. Henry Quare has been a very effective. Um, representative for that whole area. The 28th Congressional District uh, scoots down from the east side of San Antonio all the way down into Laredo. It used to encompass uh, McAllen, uh, Hidalgo County, and Zapata County and others, but it no longer does. But uh, the head of the whole thing, so if you win Laredo, you win. But what's been happening is that Henry Cuellar um, is a traditional Democrat, and by that I mean that he's an American Democrat. Yeah, he may want to raise your taxes and do some social welfare things, but he's a very business-oriented, um, he's pro-life-oriented, and he's pro-border patrol and the security of our border. Uh, he's a he's a good Democrat, not to say that all Democrats are that way, but he's an old traditional Democrat where the only difference was the side of the head where you part there. Henry Cuellar has been under a lot of attack in Congress by AOC and also Bernie Sanders, as you mentioned. 
And those people, as everybody knows, are ultra-liberal people. And somewhere, somehow, they get a lot of money. And I venture to say that it's not Texas money. It is money from God knows where. <laughs> and as, as, as we talked earlier, there are diminishing returns to the amount of money that you can apply to a campaign. And I think that this Cisneros gal, she's probably reached that. Henry is in a runoff. He, he garnered 49.98% of the vote. Uh, he lost the majority by 0.02%. And that's pretty, pretty hair thin, uh, I must say. Uh, he can do it. But runoffs are very delicate. They're very money-intensive, and they're very um, intensive on making sure that you get your, your, your voters energized. And I can see no other energy that can come from does an, an area like Webb County that is very conservative, not necessarily Democrat or Republican, but very conservative, going to accept someone like AOC as its representative? And I tell you, no, because one of the most burning issues is business, trade, and the border. That's right. And AOC and the others are very pro allowing this invasion to continue to come in. Let so me, that would be an asthma to it. Yeah, yeah. Let, let me add real quick, uh, just to give the people a little bit more uh, of a flavor of Laredo. Uh, historically, Laredo, uh, the reason that it was settled in Laredo, Texas, as, as opposed to Nuevo Laredo in Mexico, was because folks wanted to remain American and, and Texan. And uh, one of the things that has always shown that is the, the George Washington celebration that the uh, that has always uh, and that has been a a, a big deal in, uh, in, te- in in Laredo, uh, where they you know again celebrating their Americanism, and uh, along comes um, these AOC type people, a lot of these radicals who want to do without, <laughs> who want to do away with a, uh, a, a, a centerpiece of celebration in Laredo, the George Washington uh, celebration, because, of course, George Washington owned slaves. And people don't understand. I mean, even though Tet Laredo might be uh, 97% Mexican-American, it is very, very American still. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, you, you, can't, you can't define Laredo without saying, number one, everybody speaks Spanish. But number two... Everybody's American. They fly the flag. And they are very, very American. And here's, here's the proof. Going back to the 1850s, um, when, when the Rio Grande, called the Rio Bravo del Norte in Mexico and the Rio Grande here, was declared the border between Mexico and the United States, a few people that wanted to stay Mexican crossed the river and established New Laredo, Nuevo Laredo. But the rest stayed there. Uh, Laredo is a unique community that cannot be compared with other areas like McAllen or Brownsville or other places. This was a community of Hispanic Americans that stayed American and have always cherished the idea that they are American. And all of a sudden, you get somebody that is radically left uh, and is going to destroy the value of Laredo which is the number one uh, port, in, land port in the nation, with several, with three hundred or more million dollars per day of goods that cross that border, and and it's a very important border to our trade and commerce. And all of a sudden, uh, you're going to get rid of the invasion that that's coming in and sanctify it and say you're here, going to be straining schools hospitals, healthcare, social welfare systems, throwing everything off of a city and impoverishing in a city that has lifted itself up by its own bootstraps. That's not going to happen, period. So if Henry loses, and here I'll, I'll change the topic after this, but if Henry loses to this AOC clone, then what's going to happen is that it's going to be ripe for a, Demo- for a Republican to take over. And um, and and uh, that that's going to be very interesting because they will turn it. 
Now, you know, the, the AOC types, the, there was one in, in Austin that definitely won big uh, in the Democrat primary. I mean, he won, mm-hmm. he won by 61%. So they are, I mean, and, and, but Austin is a different animal completely from Laredo. Austin is, yeah. you know, it's got the University of Texas. It's very, very liberal. It's practically Berkeley, California. Yeah, it's it's the Democratic Republic of Austin. <laughs> now it's, let me let me let me true. let me change the uh, topic a little bit on, uh, on you now because I know that you're affiliated with the Texas Public Policy Foundation, and um, what is your take on 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 uh, the State of the Union uh, on Tuesday night? What was uh, what did you hear that you you know uh, liked or didn't like? You or, know, <laughs> what did you hear? It was it, it was a show. And unfortunately, um, um, a lot of it just doesn't make sense. <laughs> I mean, he wants he wants to secure a border that he wrecked. He wants uh, energy independence that he has wrecked and stopped. He wants to improve jobs and the economy that he wrecked. He wants to uh, support law enforcement with a caveat that, you know, telling them things that he's also wrecked. And he wants to um, be a cheerleader for Ukraine when he created that crisis. So the list goes on and on and on um, of, of what he did. I mean, I, I, could, I could spend hours telling you that these are problems that Biden and his administration created. Let's look at the border. All of a sudden, the first thing he does, he stops the wall and he tells everybody come on in and you have this literal invasion of a lot of people not just from latin america but from the whole world that are coming in in droves Uh, look at energy he stops uh, drilling permits uh in in the seas and also in american land and stops the pipeline but yet tells russia go ahead and do that north stream pipeline uh and buys Russian oil when we've got enough oil and gas here in this country to fuel the whole world. Uh, And then all of a sudden he starts talking about how great law enforcement he has instead of peep about law enforcement. And yet he is one of those cheerleaders that wants to completely close down uh, and punish law enforcement because they're very cruel and horrible. And, and, And the mess we have in our big cities, even here in San Antonio, or in Houston, or Dallas, or even Austin, uh, the People's Republic of, uh, are, are doing that. And then we say, well, we want to support Ukraine, but come on, didn't we do this by showing Putin that we're ready to bend over for him? Uh-huh. That um, we're, we're really, really uh, going to be giving him a carte blanche to do anything he wants? Um, I'm not a warmonger, and I'm not, you know, one of those radicals to the right, but golly, can't we go there and do more? Putin is not going to press any button, and and he won't push any button. This is time when we need to get very, very harsh with Putin and with the Russians on what they're doing in Ukraine. And, And I'm going to tell you one thing. You go back to the 1930s, 1938 in in Munich, when they allowed uh, Hitler to take over uh, the Sudeten line in Czechoslovakia. Uh, what happened after that? It was an appeasement measure. Oh, we don't want a war. We don't want a war. We don't want a war. Well, heck, they did create a war because they strengthened Hitler and the Nazis to go in and take all of Czechoslovakia and then prompt him up to get into Poland. Uh, and, and the rest is history. So when, when you start allowing and giving uh, something to, the, to those that are blatant uh, aggressors and, and prosecuting aggressive war, you're not just looking at war criminals. You are abetting and helping those war criminals take advantage of the world because you think they're going to stop stop with with Ukraine? Uh-uh. That's right. I am a firm believer that we need to get in there and we need to make sure 
and take a huge stance and say, what did you say you were going to do? Yep. I call you on it. Call his bluff. And call his bluff, yes, and do it. Because I don't know that we could ever forgive ourselves if we let the Ukrainian people be slaughtered by the Russians. That's right. Period. That's so true. That is so true. We're going to need to let you go, my friend, but um, anything else that you'd like to I got to more to say. I got a lot more to say, George. <laughs> well, we'll get you on. We'll get you on in another couple of weeks. There is a lot to say. Let me tell you, there is so much to say about about everything that is going on. I mean, everything from inflation to, to the price of gasoline. My goodness. <laughs> right. That, that's very true. That's very true. Oh, thank you very, very much, Kiko. (laughs) I appreciate it. Good to be with you, George. Take care. Take care. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, and we've been speaking with former Congressman Kiko Canseco. Hi, folks. This is George Rodriguez, El Conservador. Looking for information on immigration, borders, refugee resettlement, asylum claims, nationalism, and globalism? Go to BorderHawk.News. BorderHawk.News has up-to-date information on these topics and their impact locally, nationally, and internationally. BorderHawk.News has the news that's not covered by the other media or websites. Stay informed on one of the most important issues in this country, immigration. Go to BorderHawk.News. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM radio. And uh, we've got uh, Mr. Preston uh, Hennekens from uh, FAIR, our good friends at FAIR in Washington, D.C. Preston is the government relations manager, and I wanted to get him on because uh, FAIR has put out a couple of, uh, of very, very interesting press releases the past week. And... Um, both of them dealing with uh, how, I, you know, and, and, and they put it very, very pr- bluntly, the sabotage of, uh, of, the, of the border by the Biden administration, uh, as well as uh, wrecking uh, and dismantling uh, the uh, defense of immigration enforcement. I mean, these things, my friends, are a reality to us that, that uh, live here on the southwest border. And uh, Preston, talk to us about what you what perspective you guys are looking at at FAIR regarding uh, enforcement at the border or enforcement by ICE uh, by the Biden administration. Right. Well, first, thank you for having me on. Of the policies that have been put in by DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, what we're seeing is really the non-enforcement of immigration law. Um, these... These two people have done everything in their power to to eviscerate immigration enforcement, and they've mainly done this through executive action. Mainly, they uh, issued a memorandum restricting where ICE can operate in the United States, where they can arrest and detain illegal aliens. And if you look at the memorandum, it, it restricts them to you know almost nowhere in the U.S. And it, it's a really shocking development because, you know, they, they inherited one of the most secure borders in American history under former President Donald Trump. And to see what they've been able to do in, in just about one year it is really shocking. And it's, and it's alarming uh, that we're seemingly going to have to put up with this um, until the next election. You know, it's, it's all been done at the executive level. And because Immigration and Customs Enforcement is a component of the executive branch. Uh, President Biden and DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas have, um, you know, wide authority over over what they can and cannot do. And what we've seen is that they've they've prioritized um, really taking a complete step back from any kind of immigration enforcement. And we're seeing the results um, not only in Texas but throughout the entire United States. The uh, you know this situation with uh, limiting enforcement. Um, uh, in the State of the Union on Tuesday night, in the State of the Union, uh, bold-facedly, I mean, stri- with a straight face, Biden said that he was going to secure the border. Uh, how can you do that if, if you are encouraging illegal immigration by not enforcing it? 
No, that's exactly right. And and there's no other way to put it. It's it's a complete lie. Um, there there is nothing the Biden administration is doing right now to secure the border. If they they know what they could do uh, to to secure the border, they they would have to rescind all of the immigration actions that they've taken since January 20th, 2021. And that's something that the Biden administration is not willing to do. Uh, they don't seem to either understand the gravity of the decisions they've made or they understand them, um, but they think that by standing up during the State of the Union and, and giving some, some window dressing by saying, oh, well, we're going to secure the border, um, they think that's enough. And, and it's not. If they want to secure the border, they need to fully re-implement the migrant protection protocols. They need to fully enforce Title 42. They need to rescind the, these memorandums that have shackled the ability of Customs and Border Protection and Immigration and Customs Enforcement to do their job. Um, and until they take those actions, uh, you know, we're just considering that this is empty rhetoric. And um, I think, interestingly, he, he, prepped, he said this and then immediately went into a monologue discussing the need to amnesty all of the illegal aliens that are, that are living in the United States. And I, I think this is a, a common uh, tactic uh, from politicians like President Biden, who, in order to get to their, their desired goal, which is to, to give an amnesty to close to 15 million people living here in the United States, uh, they, they know that they, they have to appeal to, to people who want to see the border control. And so while they're actually probably more interested in, in constructing the amnesty, um, they'll still get up and, and claim that they want to secure the border. But, um, you know, George, they haven't done anything to show us that they're, that they're serious about taking those steps. That's right. Now, let me, let me change gears a little bit because um, it's becoming more evident that the states are going to have to do whatever they can. And here in Texas, we've had... A, uh, a big debate about what the governor can do, what the governor can't do. Um, I mean, we are really, really being hammered by illegal immigration and drugs, uh, car chases, uh, pedophiles. I mean, it, it is really, really out of control for us. What uh, feasibly can a state do uh, within the, the limitations of the Constitution or within the, the limitations of the government not doing its job, the federal government not doing its job. Right, so there's really two avenues that we've seen, and, and obviously Texas has been um, on the forefront of many of these legal challenges. Uh, the state of Texas has, has gone um, to court a number of times um, with the Biden administration over um, the administration's immigration policies. Um, obviously, even and this was even true before President Biden um, took office, where uh, the state of Texas uh, led the way in, in trying to unravel the DACA program, um, arguing that uh, it was it was unconstitutional. They've done the same thing. They successfully sued the government to re-implement the migrant protection protocols, also referred to as the Remain in Mexico program. And so it, it seems that the states have had Success um, through the courts in, in pressuring the Biden administration's use of executive action. And now there's a second avenue that has just opened up um, from Texas's neighbor, Arizona, where the Arizona Attorney General Mark Burnovich issued a legal opinion um, where he states that uh, the state of Arizona is in fact under invasion from a foreign actor. Um, and that's an important constitutional question because uh, under the construction of the Constitution, the federal government is responsible for defending the states from, uh, from foreign adversaries, from foreign actors. And what Arizona, what, what uh, Attorney General Burnovich has, has said in this legal opinion is that Arizona does not feel like they are being protected by the federal government, that the federal government is not holding up their end of that constitutional bargain. Now, it's very uh, limited right now in what that means because it's up to uh, the governor of Arizona to take further action on that if he wanted to. But this is an important first step in, in testing whether uh, this is something that other states could follow suit with. And I know that there has been uh, some pressure in Texas to get um, Governor Greg Abbott uh, to, to follow with something similar. I know that that's a, an ongoing political debate uh, in the state of Texas, but this is, I think, going to be a 
we've got that, then we've got the battle with uh, the very liberal uh, cities and counties that want to, uh, you know, go back to creating sanctuaries for illegal aliens. So, it, it, you know, the battle is really, really raging. I mean, there, there's no two ways around it. Give us a, give us a, a conclusion here. Where do you think we're going to go? We're going with this. What do we need to do? Right. So it, it's it's going to be very important to see uh, and over the next few months leading up to the 2022 midterms, whether President Biden is serious about what he said in the State of the Union, where he supposedly claims that it's time to focus on border security. I'm not confident that President Biden is going to take any meaningful, concrete steps to securing our border. That would require both he and his, excuse me, his um, DHS secretary to admit that the policies they've put in place are not working. Uh, and so it's going to be interesting to see both how President Biden uh, continues to, to um, address or rather not address the border crisis, uh, and as well as to see how it affects uh, congressional Democrats. Um, there are a number of Democrats facing um, very tough reelection campaigns, and are, are they going to stand by what Joe Biden's immigration agenda is, which is essentially sitting on our hands and doing nothing uh, and, and letting the crisis continue unabated? Or are they going to try and pressure their own party leadership and their president uh, to do something about it? I'm not confident um, that they will. I, I don't think there's enough time, and I don't think there's the political will to do that on, on, on that side of the aisle. But I think the, the, the 2022 midterms are going to be an extremely important election for border security. I think it's going to be an issue um, that is important not only in border states like Texas and Arizona, but throughout the country. Uh, every community in this nation is now, a is now a border community because of the policies that President Biden has put in place. And I think that's going to have um, tremendous consequences uh, in the upcoming midterm elections. You got it, buddy. We've been speaking with our good friend, Mr. Preston uh, Hennekins from uh, FAIR. Preston, thank you very, very much for taking time to be with us and to um, give us some insight into, into this whole mess that we're looking at as far as the border crisis. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.